Dr. Michelle's Wild Warrior. Good morning. I am fresh off an amazing hike yesterday. I spent about 12 miles and four hours or so up in the Sisters Wilderness at Obsidian Trail, one of my favorite places, and it's always a source of inspiration and excitement and um, regrouping, kind of reconnecting to myself to get out in nature. And this time of year is certainly one of my favorites for doing that. The crowds are starting to slim down a little bit and the weather's been incredible this year. So I'm really just trying to uh, enjoy extra time out there in the woods and kind of receive the information that comes my way. I do a lot of processing (laughs) when I'm on foot and uh, solo out in the woods and I watch my dog and get entertained by him. And um, I hope you enjoyed my new musical intro. A good friend of mine, Chris Clemens, the talented musician he is, uh, so generously created that beautiful piece. And that will be my new intro to my Wild Warrior podcast. Thank you for joining me today. This is my eighth episode, and it is titled Get Orgasmic for Life. And I know I mentioned that a little bit in my last podcast about sex and the second chakra. Uh, I just feel like it's really exciting to think about diving into our own lives in a more vibrant way. And obviously my work as a healthcare practitioner is geared toward helping people be fully healthy and capable on the mental note on their physical with their physical bodies emotionally and hopefully spiritually as well so that's often my focus when patients come in even if they're coming in just for an injury it's like how can we get you back into your life fully And hopefully I can teach them some pearls to engage in their life in an even better way. Post-injury is a great time for doing that, especially because, or post-illness for that matter, 
because we start to recognize perhaps the things that we were missing while we were injured or ill. And sometimes we need that interesting polar perspective, you know, the pendulum swinging opposite directions in order to see the true value and gifts that we have in our lives every day. And this perspective shift can come from a lot of different places. Um, In talking about getting excited and invested and revitalized in one's life, I think it's really a necessary place to discuss death. And I know that's not as exciting as being orgasmic, (laughs) but in some ways, maybe it is. We don't really know, do we? Um, And I had, some of you may know, I had the recent bittersweet privilege of uh, helping my mom through her dying process. She passed away just over a month ago and um, luckily lived here in Bend. So I, it was a complete honor to be able to walk that journey with her. And my dad passed away uh, 12 years ago and he was in Atlanta at the time and my siblings live there still. So, and I was in Portland still finishing out school Actually, I just graduated and just had my second child. And so the dying process for him, um, I was not able to be quite as present, although I did spend some good quality time with him. It was just a different experience for me. And my mom and I, since she has moved, since she moved here uh, 11 years ago, I we have become very tight, ironically, because <laughs> I was kind of the black sheep of the family. And she and I would butt heads in the, certainly in the teen years, but over time we've really, we had really grown to love and appreciate each other. And we spent a lot of time together and she was very close to my children and she helped me immensely in my life in various ways, uh, through the last decade of starting my practice and rearing children and ultimately also going through a divorce. So she was by my side, never judged me, always supported me and was an incredible force in my life. And so I was really, really privileged and honored to be there for her in whatever way I could. So what I really want to touch upon, I I think that there's a lot of fear about dying and the unknown I think is probably the biggest piece that people seem to struggle with. I was raised Catholic as was my mom. She was a devout Catholic for a long time in her life and then kind of awakened to some other ideas as she moved out here in particular, I think, and just became open to some different, different thoughts about death and dying. But, uh, there's a lot of fear around death, uh, just the idea that we won't be here anymore. And what is that, what is that process, you know, even like, um, it's such a mystery and, but the beauty of mystery, and I think I touched on this a little bit in my last episode is there's excitement in that. And there's, you know, especially when we talk about sexuality and eroticism, there's, you know, mystery is one of the most important ways to kind of rekindle things in our lives, 
whether it's sexually or energetically or in our career or with relationships, you know, bringing up some mystery, I think is a good thing, but it also kind of naturally rides along with fear because it's the unknown. And we as humans tend to like to know what's going on and what's going to happen and what things we can control, which honestly is really not that much. We just kind of fool ourselves, I think, and pretend that we can control more than we than we actually might be able to. So her fears, though, about dying were pretty unique, and I really appreciated that she was able to voice some of this with me because she was not so afraid of the process itself or, you know, the mystery of the afterlife or whatever might be beyond, if nothing, perhaps. I don't know. None of us can really say, I guess. She was more fearful of the loss of the what ifs, you know, and the missing out on things that she was really enjoying in her life, especially her grandchildren and her friends and, you know, being out in nature And unfortunately, the disease process for her took a lot of that away months prior to her dying. So I think she was able, and we all, all of us that were supporting her and around her, were able to grieve kind of as we went. And I have actually spoken to my siblings about this because, you know, they were here as much as they could be, but obviously they couldn't be here all the time like I was able to be. And I couldn't even be there all the time because, you know, I have kids and a practice and a life too. So thank goodness she had some really good friends that were amazing and able to help and really care for her and love her, which was uh, really unique and definitely a testament to my mom and who she was and her character. But aside from that, my, my journey with my own grief and processing this was really gradual because I was able to kind of understand the losses that were happening along the way. So I could see her physicality changing and her personality shifting a little bit because she wasn't able to do the things that made her thrive before when she was physically capable. So a lot of the grieving kind of happened gradually for me and That was really good because I was able to process a lot of things with her in tandem with her along this journey. So she would go into these deep places of fear and was very open with me about them. And often they were in times when she was in pretty extreme pain, which made them even more poignant and intense. But we were able to really look into some some dark places <laughs> together and I'm so proud of her for being able to do that because you know in growing up uh, talking about dying was really just avoided we didn't we didn't really discuss that and I've lost you know all four of my grandparents and I knew two of my great-grandparents and I've lost a couple of friends that were way too young um, So I've definitely experienced death in a lot of different ways, but never in such a place where I got to be really part of it, 
really, really part of her process and kind of taste and feel that with her every day. So it was, gosh, I mean, I just think she, she moved through it so gracefully and with so much courage and embraced things as they came along, even though she would struggle with them initially, you know, with the various diagnoses and with getting into hospice and with needing extra care, those things were really difficult for her in the moment, but then she would surrender. And I've heard people liken the dying process to birth, and I really like that parallel because I do think that's very true. It's, again, this mysterious unknown, this place of us trying to control things. I mean, certainly in my own journey of birthing three children, there was a lot of unpredictability and a lot of forced surrender that as a mom, you know, in labor or anybody assisting somebody in labor, you definitely have to be fluid and allow the process to happen and just let those fears come and go because we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the other side of dying is like either. I find it interesting not to get too spiritual on this one, but, and my thoughts and spirituality are, are pretty unique and some people don't necessarily agree with them and that's okay with me too. Uh, but one of the things, you know, I've read a few books about dying processes and people who have uh, had near-death experiences and documented those and there's so much similarity and overlap that it makes me you know, kind of think that there is a pattern that happens and there is something pretty special after we die. I, I personally believe in, in multiple lifetimes, but it's hard to say, you know, my mom actually, ironically, I'll circle back to her for a minute. I've done a few past life regressions and I find them very, very helpful for me and interesting to me. And they've come at times when I've really kind of needed that perspective shift and it's an intense process going through it being hypnotized and and experiencing things that feel really really real in the moment and my mom asked me one time because I would always tell her about it and she said well how do you know it's real and I said to her I was like mom it doesn't actually matter if it's real if it's a memory in my brain, if it's something on my imprinted on my DNA, that's a human experience, because all of the things that we've been through, you know, over our society days, and like the history of humankind, have included some trauma and some difficult ventures in life in living, right. And so it doesn't matter. And I told her that I said, it just helps me. And that's really all that matters. So I don't need for other people to believe that it's real because it feels real to me. And I don't actually care if it's real or not, (laughs) as long as I can use that information and that experience to somehow make myself better and make my life better. And I was thinking the same thing about dying and the mystery that's there. I think as humans, I mean, forever, probably the entire species of humankind 
has questioned and philosophized about death and dying and what is there and is there anything beyond and I love some of the old you know rituals that are around death and dying and the new ones too that we have in our in our um, society now because they honor the individual and they honor the process of their lives and I think that's really important and special but as far as what happens when we die again it's kind of one of those things like it doesn't totally matter because i i heard somebody dispute the idea of like the white light that that it was some uh i don't know if it was a physician or a um, scientist of some sort but somebody was refuting that idea by saying that you know, there's these brain waves that happen when we die and then it's a natural part of everything shutting down. And, and that's probably true. But again, it doesn't matter because if there's this peaceful place when somebody's exiting this world, I mean, think about it this way. Do you remember what it was like before you were born? You don't know, right? You, you just weren't in existence. And so if we're not in existence after we die, we aren't going to be conscious of that. And I think that the white light idea is peaceful and calming to the person going through the process. And I definitely witnessed that with my mom's passing. And she just ultimately surrendered. And, and it was a very peaceful and beautiful thing. So I think what I have taken from that experience, she, she actually died the day before my birthday. And a couple of people asked me about that later, you know, kind of almost feeling sorry for me. I mean, I'm a Leo, so I love my birthday. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I feel like it was the biggest gift she could give me because every year I'm going to celebrate her. And she's the one who birthed me in the first place. So to have her death day be the day before my birthday, I think, was serendipitous in a lot of ways and actually really a beautiful thing. So I take that as kind of a her last little gift to me, even though she didn't, she didn't remember that it was my birthday coming up. Thank goodness I was glad she didn't because I didn't want her to carry any of that sort of regret um and speaking of regret the only I would say she and I covered a lot she was able to process a lot of things with many of our close family members and definitely with her close friends and that was such a gift again for her and for all of us that are behind left behind so I'm so grateful for the time, even though she was suffering, it was really a beautiful process for all of us and gave us a lot of closure. But I will say that it, it pangs me a tad because she just had so much courage and grace during this process. And I don't think she ever recognized that about herself. And so on the heels of that, I think that's been a driving force in my life in a lot of ways, even since I was younger, knowing that both of my parents had a decent amount of self-doubt and, um, you know, just the, the self-worth piece wasn't 
what I hope to present to the world for my own self and for my kids' sake. And so to get back to kind of that orgasmic for life idea, I think that in talking about death or injury or pain or suffering or illness, that can be a driving force to push us into huge new opportunity in our lives. Whether it's our health, our profession, our accomplishments, our relationships. I mean, certainly in the process of witnessing my mom's dying process, my relationships mean that much more to me. I mean, I definitely had to kind of put a lot of friendships on pause during that process, even though people were incredible and reaching out and But I was in the thick of it, right? And I needed to be there and be present for my mom. Even my relationships with my kids had to be paused a tad. Just different because my energy was so much there for my mom. And I'm so excited and thankful that everybody's still there for me on the back end. And now I get to reignite those relationships in a much deeper way. And it feels really, really good. And it feels very fortunate that I have that, that opportunity. And just that I've come to the place of being able to do that now with my perspective of having lost someone. So my sister and I kind of joke about it being this whole left behind You know, we think of our mom a lot and we joke about her a lot. My brother and I, too. All three of us are very, very close after this experience we were before, but even more so now. And it's it's, again, something that I'm just thrilled about. And I feel really, really lucky in that in that way. But we recognize that there's just going to be things that we are going to miss, you know, her voice and her silly texts and her comments on Facebook and all the character that she brought to the world, we, we will miss. But filling that hole with life, that's what I'm trying to do. And in doing that, I'm feeling vulnerable. And I think that's what the mystery creates is this vulnerability. A good friend of mine the other day said to me, he said, you know, vulnerability is where you thrive. And I really, that touches me deeply because we know that to be true. It's when you're making really good decisions in your life and you're, and you're doing things that are going to push you forward and break you open into being a better person. There's usually a little bit of anxiety around it. There's some question, there's some self doubt, there's a little bit of fear sometimes, or just this anxiousness. And that's a sign of living. That is, I mean, think about what an orgasm feels like, right? It's intense. It's overwhelming. It's pleasurable, obviously, but it can be also very vulnerable and it, it heightens all of our senses. It makes us completely present in that moment. And I think if we come into life that way, that's like the biggest gift we can give to ourselves and to everybody else around us. My grandfather had this expression. He would say, do something, even if it's wrong. 
And I kind of like that idea. I mean, I'm a little bit of a rebel sometimes too. So I like that idea, especially because it justifies things that I might do that are pushing boundaries. But it's also this idea of don't sit around and stagnate. Don't get stuck in your fear of decision-making. I took a little leap of faith yesterday. I'm, I'm, I hired on a uh, public speaking coach and it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. It's something that is going to push me into doing some things in my practice that are new and exciting and challenging. And really the ultimate goal is to be able to offer my skills and experience to more people. And I love my one-on-one practice and I love doing acupuncture on people and that will always continue. But I also just want to be able to reach out to more people, which is part of the reason I do this podcast in the first place. So pushing ourselves into this place of discomfort, what ways can you do that? And what ways can you be efficient in your rest and recovery so that when you utilize your energy, when you put your full effort in, you do it in such a way that is almost unstoppable. Yesterday when I was hiking, I always take my dog, of course, and he is a huge source of entertainment for me and obviously a source of company. But I love watching him and just understanding kind of his mannerisms when we're out there. He obviously, I mean, I don't, I can't presume to know how he feels, but I can watch him knowing that most of the things that are driving him are kind of instinctual. Yes. So yesterday was a very hot day and much of the trail was shaded, but a lot of it was not. And luckily when we were up in the sun, the breeze was happening and there were some creeks and ponds, which of course I swam in and he did too. And, um, but watching him ahead of me, he'll run up and find a tiny little spot of shade and just stand there and wait, you know? And it's like he has these bursts of energy and then he saves every ounce he has until he needs to do it again. Um, Cause he knows he's going to want to chase a ground squirrel and he knows he's going to want to run and grab a stick and, and just play. And he knows that we have potentially endless miles ahead of us. <laughs> he never can guess I'm sure what, what I'm up to. So he'll check in with me and kind of look at me, but it's, it was really cool to just watch his efficiency and I think that so much of bringing our full selves to the world, and I see this with my patients a lot, and I coach this with my patients a lot, rest and recovery are probably the key things in order for us to be our best, most creative selves. So if we're burning the candle, as they say, at both ends and not rejuvenating ourselves with food and nutrition and rest and recovery and sex and pleasure and getting out in nature and um, circadian rhythm support, etc. then we may think we're being efficient. We may think we're being productive, but really we're not bringing our best game to the table. We all know what it feels like to be sleep deprived. Sure. Right. And we also know that like a manic type of energy, I was talking to a patient about this the other day, is really inefficient. It feels good in the moment sometimes where you feel this like surge of, yes, I'm going, I'm getting stuff done and I'm on fire. And then 
you recognize when it's kind of in that manic place, you what happens? You knock stuff over, you say things you didn't mean to say, you um, get in a car accident, or just there's that frantic feeling to it. And that's not productive. And multitasking, I think, lends itself to that sometimes too. It's a troublesome spot because... I mean, some of the research I've read about it is that we can't actually multitask very well. Our brain really likes to focus on one thing at a time. And so the more efficient we get with that, the better we are in our productivity and in our in sharing who we are with everybody else and offering the things that we know. So how can you get orgasmic for life? What does that look like? What things are stopping you? I mean, one of the biggest things for me is my own story, my own self-doubt. You know, I present myself as a fairly confident person, and for the most part, that's true. I'm very comfortable in my practice and in, in one-on-one treatments with patients. I feel very comfortable in that. And I'm vulnerable enough to say when I don't know what the answer is, you know, and when I feel stuck in, in helping them. I'm able to say that. Uh, but one of the things that's been calling out to me for a long time now is more public speaking and putting myself out there as kind of, you know, somebody who knows what they're talking about. And that, for whatever reason, is really my story. My own brain tells me that that's, you know, that's not something I should do. And I've decided not to listen to that anymore. <laughs> and so I'm getting some help on how to better kind of take that leap of faith and jump into something that I know ultimately is going to open some really awesome doors for me and for those who are interested in the work I'm doing. And so sit with that for yourself. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Where does it get you? Where do you feel the anxiety or the stress about it? Where do you feel inhibited in your life? Is it physically? Are you afraid to make changes to your health? Some people are. I mean, I can't tell you how many patients have come in on their first visit and been like, don't take my coffee away. <laughs> or, you know, um, I'm not giving up dairy, you know, because they know I like to mess around with the diet. And usually within a month, they've you know, giving it up on their own for a little bit. And the, usually the things we resist the most are the things we really need to, to feel into and to look at and to let, let that festering wound kind of come to healing, right? So my task for you today, I like to give homework, right? I guess you guys are probably used to that by now. But my task for you in your life Number one is sit down perhaps and get clear on where are the places where you feel stuck. Where are the places where you feel you're telling yourself you're not good enough or you can't or that that just won't work out. You know, all of those negative uh, stories that we tell ourselves that our mind is, is trying to suppress us in some way and... Or is it, is it, I mean, sometimes for me, it's just frank laziness. Like, I just don't feel like doing something like that. 
So look at those places of inhibition and figure out what they are first. Write them down if you need to. Talk to somebody about it if you need to. Tell somebody, this is where I feel stifled. And then come up with a plan, even if it's one thing a day, that you do consistently. For me right now, my physical goal is to do a freaking (laughs) pull-up. I can do a chin-up, but I cannot do a pull-up. And my trainer has been awesome about it and wrote me a great protocol, and I'm really resistant to doing it. And so part of that is just, frankly, avoiding it and being lazy about it. But I'm ready to turn that tide, and I'm committing to that. Here, You're hearing it right now. <laughs> but uh, what is it? What is it that you want? Go for it. You have every right to get after the things that you want in your life. You have every right to earn your keep. You have every right to enjoy pleasure and to be happy with the people in your life. You get to relate with others and learn things about yourself and be out in nature if that works for you. Own your profession. You know, what are your talents? What are the things that feed you and drive you and make you your unique self? Because nobody else on this planet is like you, thankfully. So make it worth your time here on Earth. We all need that from you and from each other and from ourselves. So get excited because good things are about to come your way. I think when we walk around the world, I mean, let's get frank here. Imagine that you've just had an orgasm (laughs) and now you're going to go about your day. Do you go around in a sulky fashion or do you go around with spark and spunk and maybe a little twinkle in your eye? So why don't you start your day either actually doing that or at least channeling that energy and bring it to those you encounter? They will see it and they will be magnetized to you and good things will come your way. I'm sorry, but there's hardship in life. I get it. I just went through some really challenging things the last few years in my life, but that I'm trying to use that, those difficult situations because they're inevitable. I'm trying to use them as a springboard into the things that I really want to do. And also use them as a reflection of the areas in my life where I've been stagnant and where I let the shadows take over. So shine some light on those places for yourself. It's totally a gift to you to do that. It takes courage. It takes self-awareness. It takes mindfulness. And it also sometimes is ugly and it hurts you know, to look at those places, but we're all flawed. Thank God we're all flawed humans and we all have huge, huge potential. And all we can do is just keep moving forward and love up on each other. So that is my task for you today. Operate as if you are blissed out under the surface and get after all the things that you have in front of you 
love your people. Be grateful every day for the breath you get to take and the things you get to do, even if they feel mundane. Make them something special. You know, doing dishes, I mean, I love the term equanimity because that is awesome. We are so fortunate every day, especially in our culture here, we have hot water and we have resources and we, you know, we joke about first world suffering. And really, if we think about that, you know, use that to your advantage. Um, One of the things I've been doing since my mom's passing is going through an entire huge box of letters between my dad and my mom when my dad was in Vietnam. It's again, this just huge gift from beyond Um, this love story and this history and this family history that is just, I mean, it's so exciting to me and I've been slowly scanning them and sending them to my siblings and it's like a walk through time. And my dad was in, you know, the bush in Vietnam, like at 22 with a child on the way. And he still would just bring this perspective of like excitement and love and it's, you know, not too bad. And we have not that many days ahead of us, but before we get to see each other again. And, you know, and here we are living in pretty relaxed settings and in a good life. And um, so please own that and be grateful um, for everything that you have. That's my dog drinking some water in the background. And on that note, thank you for listening. Please um, subscribe to my podcast if you enjoy it. Please let me know, too, if there's certain topics that you would like to cover. And please get after your life today. Just enjoy something. Do something that pushes your boundaries. Do something that uh, brings you into a place of discomfort and anxiety slightly. (laughs) Because then you really know that you're alive. Thank you again. Have a great day.